Welcome to Christian Financial Perspectives, where you're invited to gain insight, wisdom, and knowledge about how Christians integrate their faith, life, and finances with a biblical worldview. Here's your host, Christian investment advisor, financial planner, and coach, Bob Barber. Welcome to our 108th podcast for Christian Financial Perspectives. Today we'll be sharing part two of a two-part series Bob developed called 12 Christian Financial Principles. In the last podcast, we shared the first six of the 12 principles. So today we'll be sharing seven through 12 of Christian Financial Principles. These 12 Christian Financial Principles are something we should all strive to live by and are just as relevant today as they have been for thousands of years. Absolutely. These principles that we're sharing today are just so timeless and full of wisdom because they come directly from God's Word, Sean. I love the part that is timeless. You, you don't yeah. have to worry, are these only going to apply to today? No, they're going to apply to today, and they're going to apply 10 years from now, and they're going to apply 50 years from now and 1,000 years from now. Yep. Like I said in our last podcast, and this is a pretty strong statement, in my 37 years in business, and you know, Sean, in May it's going to be 38, so I'm heading right at the 38 years. Yes, sir. I've seen a lot of people hurt financially by not following these Christian financial principles we're going to share today in this part, second part series. But I've never seen anyone hurt financially by following them. So I've seen a lot of people hurt by not following them, but I've never seen anyone hurt that does follow these Christian financial principles. That's a strong statement. I realize that. It is. And that's an excellent track record. To say you've never seen anyone hurt by following them, then what do you have to lose, right? (laughs) (laughs) And it just boils down to following God's Word in the Scriptures. Yep. So with that introduction, let's quickly go over the first six Christian financial principles for those who didn't hear the last podcast, or maybe it's been a little bit since they listened to that episode. So they are principle number one, God owns it all. Number two, work is good. Number three, honesty in all financial dealings. Number four, pay your taxes. Yes, pay your taxes. That's correct. That's a, Remember, that's God's provision. That's right. Remember, I told you in that last <laughs> podcast, I was very convicted when a good Christian brother of mine, Ron Blue, that a lot of people have heard, he says, don't complain about paying your taxes. That's God's provision. That's right. Ooh, that was a good one. <laughs> number five, be careful with debt. And number six, give generously. So if you didn't hear our last podcast, I would suggest you go back and listen to that first as we went into great detail how each of those Christian financial principles applies today. So Bob, for today's podcast, what is the seventh Christian financial principle? The seventh Christian financial principle, Sean, is pay others fairly. Again, pay others fairly. Romans 13, 7 tells us, give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. It's a great verse. It is. Uh, another one for you today is Matthew twenty-two, thirty-six through 40. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. 
love that scripture. And I don't remember who said it first, but it's been summarized as, what are you supposed to do? Love God? And love, love others. Yeah. Love God, love people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell you do those two things? Well. <laughs> and and can, can you see how this scripture, when the financial principle of paying others fairly, mm-hmm. how that comes into play? Absolutely. Yeah. Right. It does make sense because it kind of goes into the second commandment, loving your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, would you want to be paid fairly? Yes. So do you think your neighbor would want to be paid fairly? Okay, then pay him fairly. Here are two examples that I can immediately think of being that I'm a business owner and have been for many years. And that is, am I paying my employees a fair wage? Mm. And any Christian business owner needs to think of that. Am I paying my employees fairly? Yep. Where they can provide for their families. Another example that always hits me, you know, I went out today for lunch. We prayed over lunch and it was with a client. We had a good prayer. Hopefully that person's thinking good thoughts. They were praying, you know, they're Christian because we talked a lot about Christian things over the lunch. This just reminded me, am I tipping my server appropriately at the restaurant that waits on me? These are just two examples I can immediately think of about paying others fairly because I've heard it said that many times on a Sunday, Christians are the worst tippers. Yeah. That's a sad thing because is, we should pay sad. others fairly. And I, I don't like making that statement at all, but it's very important. There's a scriptural background for that, and that is, do we really love God and do we really love others? It was given to us in Romans 13 that to pay people fairly and to respect them. That's great. Yeah. Those are great examples, Bob. You know, one of the complaints that I've heard from people is that why do I have to tip so much? Cause you know, restaurants should pay their staff a fair wage. Mm-hmm. And you know, in most countries outside the United States, that is true. Like there, there are actually laws about that, but just because the restaurant isn't paying someone what you think is a fair wage doesn't give you an excuse to not pay them. That's the culture that we live in. Mm-hmm. And so especially as a believer, what kind of example are you setting for these people who are like, these are service people, right? You know, they live off of tips. That's right. So you want them to think, oh, well, Christians, they don't care about people. I mean, not tipping them well, tip, tip them 10%, you know, like, uh, okay, well, that's not really loving your neighbors yourself, is it? Not when the average tip would be 15 to 20% today. Exactly. So, you know, another thing too, with paying your employees a fair wage, thing example would be internships. That's a very good example. I've never thought of that one. You know, many companies will use the excuse of an internship to either not pay their staff or to significantly underpay their staff by someone who's like, oh, it's an internship, but there's a stipend, you know, to help with fuel. Mm -hmm. But the purpose of an internship and the reason why we have them is to provide typically students Mm -hmm. with real world experience and an education, not to get free or almost free labor. (laughs) <laughs> now, that really hit home with us because, you know, we have a daughter that has tried to get into the music industry. And you talk about an industry that just uses oh, these young people. for sure. It is terrible. And they, they all get them excited, like, we're going to hire you, and they never hire them. And I watched this go on with my youngest daughter for years yeah. and years. She would get so excited, and then as soon as the internship was over, out of there. That's just the world's way, but that's not God's way. That's not the way we as brothers and sisters in Christ should act. Paying others fairly 
is truly a witness to our Christian faith. It Amen. demonstrates the spiritual principle of loving your neighbor as yourself, and we should never take advantage of another person just because we can. Agreed. The, the principle of paying others fairly is one of them love, and it shows others that we care about them and we care about their self-worth. This Christian principle, Sean, really tackles selfishness head on. Agreed. Let's go into our eighth Christian financial principle then, Bob, which is store up provisions for hard times. We're going to start with Proverbs twenty-one twenty. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but the foolish devours all he has. And we have Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8. There is an appointed time for everything. And there is a time for every matter under heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to shun embracing, a time to search and a time to give up as lost, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear apart, and a time to sew together, a time to be silent, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. And that last part of that verse made me really think just everything that's That's going going on right now. Yeah, and this is why it's so important that this scriptural principle about storing up provisions for hard times because everybody seems to forget to do that during the good times. But if, if they do do that during the good times, they're glad that they did yep. for the tough times. And, and like you said, Proverbs twenty twenty one, in the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but the foolish man or woman or person devours yeah. <laughs> all they have. Proverbs thirty twenty five is another scripture. And you know me, I love Proverbs. Answer creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. Yep. Now, I'm not saying to go store up and build bigger and bigger barns. I know the scriptural principle, right, okay? Right. I'm not saying to do that. I'm just saying to be wise and store up provision for hard well, times. That's a good point then, Bob. So how would we apply these scriptural principles of storing up provisions for our finances? Well, don't devour everything that you earn during those good times on stuff that rusts and decays. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm referring to vehicles. I'm referring to boats. I'm referring to these things that... Everything's going to burn in the fire, just rust in the case. But instead, save a portion of our earnings for those tough times because we're going to need them. And this, the second thing is living a disciplined lifestyle that is not based on materialism. Don't associate your self-worth with what kind of car you drive or what kind of home you live in. Amen. And realizing that spending money on, on just newer and bigger things over giving and saving, it, it's not wise. And it's not going to bring that everlasting joy and contentment. Let's go to the next one then. We're on the ninth Christian financial principle. This one is diversify using biblical principles. We've got a, a few scriptures here. Ecclesiastes 11.2, one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Invest in seven ventures, yes, and eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. Ephesians 5.11, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. And 2 Corinthians 6.14, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? So Bob, how, how do we apply these scriptures for this principle to 
diversifying using biblical principles. You notice it's interesting. We came off with Ecclesiastes 11 too about diversifying. Mm-hmm. And then with these last two scriptures, have, you know, it's like, how, what does that have to do? Right. It's, it's, investing, it's like mixing know, oil and water or exactly. mixing light and dark. So yeah. what does you know, that have to do with you, this? Using biblical principles. So the way that we apply these scriptural principles to diversify and using biblical principles is first by never investing everything in just one thing, because that one thing is not always going to be in favor, while at the same time, we need to stay alert of what investments we are investing in or supporting. Because when you buy into something, you own it, and whatever that is doing, if you buy into a company, if that mm-hmm. company is involved in immoral activities, that's going against the scriptural principles. So you're trying, you want to be diversified, right? Right. But at the same time, you don't want to buy companies that would be involved in immoral agendas. So 2 Corinthians 6.14, you, you would be yoked together with unbelievers, or you'd be, you are a part owner in something that you would not do yourself. Yes. And you're going to have to be accountable to that to God. Yeah, that's exactly right. So going off of that then, Bob, what, what would you say an example of investing everything in just one thing would be? Well, th- that would be like putting everything in, in one basket. As an example, let's look at myself. I've been a business owner. I own Christian Financial Advisors many, many years. But actually, Sean, more than half my wealth is outside of this business, okay? I don't okay. have everything tied up in just this one business. Right. Another example I see a lot of, especially in the town that we are. <laughs> I mean, it's big. And I'm talking, y'all, we, we're in New Braunfels, Texas, in between Austin and San Antonio. Central Texas a very hot area, one of the hottest in the United States, if not the hottest for moving to and real estate. So, man, I see so many people putting everything in real estate. So that's an yeah. example. Or how about this? Just putting everything in just all cash. Yeah. With only one bank or one credit union as well. So those are three different examples right there, and there's many others. What would an example of staying alert, you know, of what the investment may be supporting or involved in? Well, is the real estate you're buying have a, an objectable, like, does it have an adult bookstore in it? I mean, okay. Okay. Yeah. Or is it promoting alcoholism? So like, who's the tenant, you know, if it's like, if it's commercial real estate. That's that's exactly right. The bank, is the bank involved in possible immoral agendas? You're like, well, how would, could the bank be supporting anti-family values, you know, pushing certain agendas? So like activism and, you know, giving to uh, non-Christian ideals. Exactly. Okay. That's right. Stock or bond, same thing. Are you investing in companies or the bank or real estate that may be involved in any immoral activities like gambling, abortion, or supporting causes that violate biblical principles? And Sean, you'd be surprised how many, maybe you wouldn't, but I think many people are surprised by that. Yeah. I know we have programs that help with faith-based investing. Do you talk about that a little bit? Yes. We use one from our good friend, Robert Nestle of Inspire Investing. He has Inspire Insight. And you're able to go pull up any publicly traded company and see what the company may be involved in on the immoral side and then the good things that they may be involved in too. And they give them a score. And, you know, we also have Evaluator, which is another program that we use. Which Inspire, their screens, they actually will show not just negative screens, right? but it shows those positive things. So 
their overall score is not just, hey, are they avoiding certain negatives, but hey, what positive impacts are they making? And they can have a negative score from, I've seen negative 50, you know, yeah. or negative 30 or negative 10 all the way up. Yeah. I've seen positive 50. So yeah. you can go to that really good website. We ought to um, put a link for that in this podcast. Yeah. For anyone who wants to go to it, it's inspireinsight.com. Yeah. yeah. By the way, I was just texting with Robert this morning. He's a good Christian brother friend of mine. And I remember when he came to the office here, what, 12 or 15 years ago, and we told him about biblically responsible investing, yeah. and then he started an ETF, um, a yeah. biblically responsible ETF. Praise so God. I, I love my brother there. So Yeah, that's awesome. One other question for you, Bob. What about biblical diversification? Okay, maybe so, talk about that a little bit. Man, can I? I you know, have it, you had it, a little bit of experience with that, Bob? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So when we say diversify using biblical principles as our ninth Christian financial principle. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a future podcast that we have coming. It's not going to be our next podcast because our next podcast is going to be on cryptocurrency. And then the following podcast is going to be on the Ecclesiastes model. But I'm going to give you a little example of that. So what do we mean by biblical diversification? Well, Remember, it says to divide your portions of six or seven or even eight portions. So a good example is to take $10,000 and divide that by seven or eight portions. Okay. And this means for every $10,000 in investments, say, if you divide that up, then that would be $1,250 to $1,400 per investment. Depending okay. on if it's seven or eight. That's right. That's okay. Right. Okay. The next one, what a lot of people may understand better, would be 100000 Okay. okay. That would be 12,000 to 14,000 in seven or eight different areas. What about 500,000? That would be 62,000 to 70,000 per type of investment. So what I mean yeah. is... Depending you, on the size of the account that you're talking right. about or the investment. You're dividing okay. it up. Like it says here, give your ventures to eight, yes, to seven, because you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. So you're taking your money and you're dividing it up. Okay. That's great. So... Another diversification that we've obviously seen, Bob, and it's, I'd say, pretty common for people to think about this, but what about diversification between investment advisors? You know, you have multiple advisors that you're working with. What's the potential danger in diversifying in this way? The danger in that way is you don't see the full picture. So it's like you're going to build a house. Would you take the blueprints and tear them in two or three or four and have four different, different builders build that house. Right. No, that, that doesn't make any sense. It, it, you know, and think about all they're scheduling all the subs at different points and yeah. times. They're using different materials. They're not coming off from one place. And they wouldn't know, well, did you order enough studs? Well, you know, okay. So right. I'm using that as a parable example sure. of that. Be very careful of that. You may not be diversified at all. And I've seen this many times where you could be with three different advisors. But if they all have you in a moderate type portfolio, your exposure really, is going to no be different. the same. Yeah. Exactly. Is is no, not to mention your your fees may end up, depending on how much in assets you have, your fees may end up actually being higher because you only have a certain amount with each advisor and you don't get any kind of price break points or, you know, which is common, both not just for us, but other advisors. Using your house example kind of makes me think of there's nothing wrong with having different contractors, but you want to make sure they're all working out the same plan. Maybe a, a way to combat that would be if you go that route, make sure each advisor knows what else that you have, you know, to make sure that you actually are within your risk tolerance and objectives, right? Exactly. They need to be talking yeah. to each other. Uh, it's just like if you're going to have a heart surgery, right? The doctor is talking to all the other doctors. Right. Because they want to know what they've been giving you or if you're yeah. going to have Or if you're on certain medication or, or right. other kind of right. medical history. So That's right. If they're operating in that isolation, 
you're creating more potential problems. And it's okay that that one doctor doesn't do everything for you medically. Same thing with your financial advisor. It's okay. As long as the advisor knows about it, they can treat it more holistically instead of in a vacuum. Bob, what about some examples using the Ecclesiastes 11.2 model for investing? Can you give us some of those? Yeah. So here's six or seven of them that I thought of. And one is, I believe that everybody should have that portion just sitting in cash. Why would you need just cash sitting there, Bob? I know the answer. When when the markets, I know you're like, okay, that should be obvious. Like when the market's down, that's where you're going to draw from many types of real estate or, I mean, they're not publicly traded. Not, it's not easy to liquidate. So you answered that one too. I want you to hear what you say. (laughs) I would think the other, the other reason you'd want to have some in cash too is, you know, kind of goes into the emergency fund and, and having those opportunities as well, because if it's in cash, you can do something with it. But if it's tied up in some other types of investments or certain type of investment accounts, you can't touch it without penalties or or liquidation issues. So having that cash, I mean, emergency fund, but also for those opportunities when there's a buying opportunity. And we're starting to see some buying opportunities. Definitely. We've we've seen some. Yeah. Uh, The second area I I like is real estate, but that needs to be diversified between residential and commercial uh, and land. And, you know, Sean, I personally like publicly traded real estate investment trusts are referred to as REITs because they offer all these sectors, but they're very easy to buy into and very easy to sell without all the large title company fees and real estate commissions that, that come with them. Even within stocks, you need to think about all the different sectors to invest in like healthcare and technology and consumer staples and energy. I mean, you're not going to put it all in healthcare. You're not going to put it all in technology. You're not going to put it all in energy. Even though right now energy's awful good, you wouldn't put it all in the industrial sector, materials or utilities. You'll spread it around. Next would be bonds across many sectors of the economy, from government to corporate bonds and, and stagger them across different maturities. Then you've got your alternative. Maturities being the how long yeah, how before long they, the bond is. Yeah. Exactly, okay. exactly. <laughs> then you have your alternative investments that are not listed in any of the above, like possibly gold and silver. And and then possibly Possibly a fixed annuity if it doesn't carry a bunch of large commissions and surrender penalties. And last, just maybe a safe business venture. I didn't do this just a few months ago, but I looked at one. It's a different business adventure. It was investing in a septic cleaning system company. And you talk about recession proof. <laughs> yep. Because uh, everybody poops, even yeah, exactly. when it's bad, bad or good times. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I, that, I have that book for my son. <laughs> <laughs> so so I tell you what, I really looked at that. And I said, would that be a good business adventure? It probably would. I mean, it's pretty recession proof. But so I'm going to so, hold back on all the jokes that it okay, kept coming. All right. I know somebody <laughs> laughed at that one. It's, they really laughed at that one. So Bob, it, it seems like with all the sectors of stocks and bonds, and cash. I mean, you could pretty easily hit all seven areas for investing, especially if you include real estate through, say, like the REITs. Yeah, you can. The wisdom behind this scriptural principle goes very deep to not only diversify many types of investments, but also, Sean, you want to diversify by location. Mm -hmm. You just think about right now with what's going on in Europe and Ukraine, think if all of your investments were in that one country. So Mm. you want to diversify by location, especially like real estate, because, you know, a hurricane can hit, you can have financial disaster hitting that one area. So that could kind of go into the idea, you know, we have domestic stocks and bonds and we have foreign or international. So like you said, you don't want to all be in European because what if something happens in Europe? You want to have some diversification there. 
let's go to our 10th principle. Yeah, we got a lot of principles here. Yeah, we do. <laughs> uh, so the 10th Christian financial principle is provide for your family. We got a couple scriptures on this, starting with 1 Timothy 5, 8. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's a little harsh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's <laughs> uh, pretty tough, isn't it? Yep. Uh, Proverbs eleven twenty nine. Whoever brings ruin on their family will inherit only wind, and the fool will be servant to the wise. Also uh, yeah, pretty you, straightforward. You, you, yeah, pretty straightforward. <laughs> I mean, this is a very powerful scripture providing for your family. Yeah. So, uh, so Bob, how do we apply these scriptural principles to finance? Well, I think it's very clear about how important it is that we take care of the needs of our family. And, you know, when it says that those who don't are actually worse than an unbeliever, I never want to be accused of that. I take this as a believer to be one of the most powerful and convicting scriptures in the entire Bible, especially when it comes to stewardship. And I personally believe that the most important job for me, Bob Barber, as a believer, is to protect and provide for my family without any excuses, except if I am just totally physically and mentally unable to do so. Yeah. Well, you know, that goes right into one of the things I wanted to share is the word work. You know, I I think we said this, I don't know if it was on the last episode, but I know we've said it in recent episodes. The word work appears in the Bible over 500 times, but the word retire only appears once and not in the context of retirement the way we think of it today. And if if I remember correctly, the time it does appear, it was actually talking about the priest, Right. Right. The like chief when, priest when they're the teaching, chief priest. teaching the younger priests. Exactly. It was, they weren't going into retirement in the way that we think of in America or in the yeah. West. They were they were retiring to teach. To teach. Yeah, which kind of makes me think of that idea of maybe you go into like a, I guess you call it a semi-retirement where you're not doing what you've been doing, but you're doing something else that God's calling well, you to like do. Well, it's like I've told you, God's called me to do this, and this is where I feel I'm going to be doing the podcast for many, many, many years to come. Yeah. Well, it's a lot easier to have a co-host. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I'll share another scripture for this. Proverbs 6, 10 through 11. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. Ooh, wow. Wow. That was like just, just a little. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, bottom line, God calls us to provide for our families. Yes, he does. He uh, sure does. And if, you, if you're not sure why we said that, read those scriptures again. <laughs> yeah. So now we're going to go into the 11th Christian financial principle. We're getting down here to the end. We're getting we, there. Sean? So the 11th one is spend wisely. We're going to go into Luke 16, 10 through 12. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Good one. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Matthew 25, 14 through 30, we're not going to read the whole thing because yeah, it's the parable one. of the talents, which yeah. is a very long one, but I would definitely encourage you to read Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Where he where talks we about giving one. Talk about the three servants mm-hmm. and you've got two of them that they did a good job. They took what their master had given them and they did something with it. And then you had the one who said, well, I knew you were hard, so I decided to just be lazy and stick it in the ground. Yeah. Like, why would you do that? <laughs> Don't be like the third one. So how do we apply these important scriptural principles to finance for spend wisely, Bob? Okay. First and foremost, I think it's very important that we know where God's money is going. You notice how I said that? Amen. Okay. Yep. <laughs> okay. Because we're managers. That's God's money. We, we need to know where that's going. 
And you know what's so neat about today? You can tell what generation I'm from or cool, you know, as I'm. But what's <laughs> neato? But, what is so what's neato about today <laughs> is we have all these financial apps and programs that make it easier than ever before. You know, Sean, I used the old envelope budgeting system back then, and we with, would with go, actual envelopes, actual envelopes, <laughs> and we would go get the cash out and put all the cash in each one. I mean, it was hard, but with these apps today, it makes it so easy and. It really comes down to just simple budgeting and tracking your spending when it comes to Christian principles, spend wisely. And real life examples include being wise about buying things like buying new cars too often that are just guaranteed to depreciate over a three year period and new toys like boats and other things when the old ones are working fine. Yeah, that's a good example. Like, do you really need that new one? Yeah. Like, is it you want one or is it you need it? Like maybe your family's going, I know Jenna and I have been struggling with that where we, we want to get a slightly larger vehicle because we got that second baby coming, but it's not that we need a brand new one either. So, but it, the color is so pretty on the new one. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's going to go I, I refuse this one to you're even, about to share, isn't it? I refuse to even consider the, yeah. uh, the brand new one when it comes to yeah. that stuff. I'm like, yeah. I'm going to get the used one. But <laughs> anyway, so another one, I guess, Bob would be, being careful of allowing programs like HGTV mm. to persuade you to remodel a kitchen and buy all new appliances when your old kitchen and appliances are working fine. Yeah. <laughs> I can't help but, you know, not think how people in other countries must think about how wasteful Americans are. I know those, it. I know it. I mean, shows. like, what's wrong with that countertop? Well, it's not the right color, but it it's not rolling. That's last year's it's color. Cra- exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Got to realize this is all about marketing, isn't it? It's all about getting you to go spend more money. Yeah, that is true, Bob. It almost seems like there's a connection. You see all of these manufacturers and stuff that you can buy for the home and counters, countertops. They seem to be sponsors a lot of times for these exactly. home remodeling yeah. shows. Yeah. I wonder if there's a connection there. Sean, I've been around a long time. I'll be 60 in June. and It's funny to watch stuff come around, you know, but that was a popular color 25 years ago was yeah. time to bring it back. Right, exactly. Because you could have just kept your house like it was and everything was functional, but you changed it to the new color last year. Now you got to go back to this old color. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we okay. are down to the 12th principle, aren't we, Sean? Yes, sir. Wow. So we're going to go with number 12, seeking godly financial counsel. Oh, so important. Yes, sir. Let's do a couple scriptures here. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Psalms 1, 1 through 3. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. We just went over that in our church too. Psalms 1, 1 through 3, it talks about, blesses one who does not walk in the step with the wicked, stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Do you notice there's that progression there? Yeah. It's yes. the walking and now you're just standing there and now you've sat down with yeah. them. Yeah. I know. I just thought that was cool. No, no, it's good. <laughs> and I think of the beautiful trees here in the Texas Hill Country, these big cypress trees that are on the Guadalupe yeah. River and how just big and majestic are because they are planted by streams of water, God's word, and they yield its, its fruit in season and 
They don't ever wither, and they're prospering, which comes right down to godly financial counsel. That you want to seek that. I love the scripture from 1 Timothy 3, 2-3. Now, the overseer is above reproach. This is the kind of counsel you want to get from. People that are above reproach, faithful to their spouse, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. And yeah, that seems like someone you'd want to get advice from. Exactly. Yeah. And who who had the fruits of the Holy Spirit of, that we have in Galatians 5, 22 through 23. You know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So we have a few scriptures to kind of help show us how to apply these principles, yes. I would say so. <laughs> Bob, do you want to try to maybe summarize these a little bit? I do. So when you're looking for that godly counsel from anyone, you want to look for someone that has wisdom and life's experiences. A little gray in the hair is not bad, okay? <laughs> a lot of gray is not bad either. <laughs> a good reputation in the community. One who has strong roots in the community and is a stable person. One that has a humble attitude, is gentle and patient, is a good communicator and listener, has a willingness to answer questions and to teach you. And one that believes in absolute truth and that truth is not relative, so they're not double-minded. There you have it, everyone. The 12 Christian financial principles, well, between the last episode and this episode. That's right. So to sum them up, all in order, we have God owns it all, work is good, honesty protects, pay your taxes, be careful with debt, give generously, pay others fairly, store up provisions for hard times, diversify using biblical principles, provide for your family, spend wisely, and seek godly financial counsel. Now you can see why we had to split this into two episodes. Mm -hmm. It's a <laughs> we, lot there. Yeah. We encourage you to not only live out all these Christian financial principles yourself, but to teach them to your children and your grandchildren. And Sean, I'd like to say at the end here, like I said in the beginning, and I said it in the last podcast, in the beginning of this one, in my 37 years in business, I've seen a lot of people hurt financially by not following these Christian financial principles, but I've never seen anyone hurt by following them. Amen. One way, for those of you listening, that you could help those you love is to tell them about these Christian financial principles and Show them how to listen to the podcast, Christian Financial Perspectives. Today was our 108th podcast. And if you've not heard all of them, I would encourage you to go back and listen to all the different financial subjects we've covered from a Christian perspective. There's 108 of them. I think I said that. Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> our podcast is available on every major podcast app on any smartphone. And you can also go to our website. We'd love for you to give us a positive review and let others know about our podcast just to get the word out. We're always here to personally answer any questions you may have by calling or texting 830-609-6986 during normal business hours or visit our website at christianfinancialadvisors.com. And our podcast website is christianfinancialpodcast.com. God bless and take care. That's all for now. We invite you to listen to all of our past episodes covering many financial topics from a Christian perspective. 
To make sure you don't miss any of Bob's upcoming episodes, you can subscribe to Christian Financial Perspectives on iTunes, Google Play Music, Spotify, or Stitcher. To learn more about integrating your faith with your finances, visit ciswealth.com or call 830-609-6986. Investment advisory services offered through Christian Investment Advisors, Inc., DBA, CIS Wealth Management Group, a registered investment advisor. Comments from today's show are for informational purposes only and not to be considered investment advice or recommendations to buy or sell any company that may have been mentioned or discussed. The opinions expressed are solely those of the host, Bob Barber, and his guests. Bob does not provide tax advice and encourages you to seek guidance from a tax professional.